Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Max and Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker on this rainy week here in Pittsburgh. Max has had a little bit of a setback, so we're a little tired here. Had to drive back from Indiana overnight. Went back there to see some friends and to uh, see another friend who was in a play. The first time I'd been in a theater in two years, and it was lovely, but Max had some problems in the evening, and so we drove all night back and spent some time in the hospital. But he is resting here now, and we're very happy to be here. Super excited because today on the program is Philippa East, who I have wanted to have on this program for a while. Um, and her second book, Safe and Sound, just came out uh, earlier this year, uh, June in America, February over in the UK. And that was a great time for me to ask her to be on the program. And she came by. You are going to love her. Uh, she grew up in Scotland and originally studied psychology and philosophy at Oxford University. And if you listen to the show, you know we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, she moved to London and to train as a clinical uh, psychologist and worked in the NHS mental health services for 10 years. While she was doing all that, she wrote this book called Little White Lies, which was longlisted for the Guardian's Not the Booker Prize and shortlisted for the CWA New Blood Award. Now, that was a big, like, coming out and having the Not, uh, Not the Booker Prize longlist was amazing. Uh, the second novel was released in February, like I said, and it's out now in June. And she lives today in Lincolnshire with her husband and cat. And along with her writing, she continues to work as a psychologist and therapist. And we're going to talk a little bit about castles, which uh, we have an unexpected thing in common. So you can stick around for that. But first, we got some business. As you know, Jam is out every Wednesday. And we do the video podcast on Monday and Friday. So tell your friends about us. That's the first thing you can do to help us out. And then we need you to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a written review and a star. That would be super helpful. You can go over to our Facebook page and leave us a review there. Or head to thewritersjam.com and send us a testimonial that we can use across all the different platforms we have. Don't forget, our new video podcast series is out basically Mondays and Fridays. So you can check that out on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel. You can always catch it at the website, or you can catch the audio wherever you're listening to this. If you are looking for a book to read or want to buy a book, while you're at our site, you can click on our book review section or the bookshop link, and that'll take you right to local and independent bookstores around the world. If all that's too much, go ahead and sign up for our monthly newsletter. All of this stuff will show up in your box once a month. It's very easy. 
And the last thing you can do is support the entire Solid Listen network. Click on the Patreon button, and for just a couple bucks a month, you'll get commercial-free episodes, special happy hours, and all kinds of bonus content from everybody on the network. So like I said, I sound a little ragged today because uh, I slept for about an hour and a half um, after coming home from a play and, and Max was in some distress. He has cancer. If you listen to the show, he's got cancer. So we're past the point of being able to treat it. We're now in maintenance mode. And uh, I reluctantly took this trip for it wasn't reluctant. I took the trip, but I was nervous about it for two reasons. One, I don't like being away from the hospital uh, if something happens. And two, the last few times I've traveled, the stress tends to make his um, symptoms get more pronounced. But along with seeing my friend in her play, I also wanted to go on one last trip to take him back to the trails where we met and where we hung out and where we spent the first six or seven years of his life. And I wasn't sure if he was going to remember that. You know, you never know what's going on in an animal's head, and it's very easy to say, um, God, this is what he's thinking or whatever. And, you know, if you live with a creature for 10 years, you get a pretty good sense of, you know, the neighborhood of things that they're thinking about. But you never know for sure. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to do this for him and I'm going to do this for me. And I'm telling you what, people, like we got on those trails and he ran to every spot we used to hang out in. He was like a puppy. You know, he's almost 11. Um, and he was going a thousand miles an hour. Now he came home and slept. I mean, he was a total jerk. And I think his arthritis probably is kicking in a little bit, but it was, it was really a lot of fun. We hiked four or five different times, like we basically get up in the morning before it got hot. Because I don't know if you know this, but Indiana's a swamp. And so it's just humid all the time. Well, this dog can't handle any of that. So we were getting up at like 6.30, you know, while it was like 75 degrees and only 80% humidity so that he could be out for, you know, 45 minutes. And I'd take big jugs of water and he'd drink them all. But it was just a reminder that, like, you know, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I knew it was going to be hard. I wasn't sure what he was thinking. But for that time we were on the trail, those hours we were on the trail, he was probably as happy as I've seen him in a long time. And me, too, to be quite honest. Uh, it made the trauma of the drive home in the middle of the night a little bit greater just because we had experienced that fun. But that is, the I think, the normal for a creature that has terminal cancer. Like, there's going to be good days and bad days. So we came home last night, uh, finally got home. You know, the doctor got us some new medication and all that stuff. And then we ended up sleeping like 16 hours because both of us are old. And staying up all night is just not really a thing we can do anymore. So that's sort of what's going on here in the bunker and uh, why I may sound a little ragged. And if you watch the video podcast, it's possible I'll look a little ragged. Because we're now in good day, bad day. And we, as the doctor said yesterday, you're going to take those one day at a time until you can't anymore. So we're going to keep living life. I think we'll be staying around the bunker here for the next several months until all of this gets worked out. Um, and we're going to have a good time. And one of the ways we're having a good time is doing these interviews. Because honestly, he loves sitting down next to me while I interview folks. And I just, I know I've said it, and I'm going to say it repeatedly throughout this show. I was just so excited to have Philippa here because 
I followed her on Twitter. You know, when the Booker not not the Booker Prize stuff came out, like I made a list of all the folks and just sort of watched how they interacted. And I was super. I just liked her. I thought, oh yeah, I feel like she's gonna be a good interview. And uh, I was right. She was a great interview. She's hilarious, and I think you're all going to fall in love with her. So thank you for stopping by the bunker to spend some time with Max and I. As you know, it is very special for us now. I uh, hope your day is going well. I hope you are taking care of yourself and each other. And I hope you will spend the next hour and sit back and just enjoy my conversation with the wonderful and talented Philippa East. Wow, isn't that interesting? Because I have come across some other writers specifically who are in the psychology mental health field, but not that many. So I need to get I need to get your list of who all these other people are so I can track them down. It's, it's interesting, you know, like I've been doing this for seven. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 something years, but uh, doing this version of the show for like seven and legal philosophy religion and psychology those are the degrees most people have who i end up yeah. interviewing it's yeah, really interesting yeah, yeah. And, and not english you know isn't no. that you know you'd think oh english literature but yeah because we're hardwired for stories aren't we yeah. not not information we're hard that's how stories are the vehicle that we best take information in in whether like you say it's a theme yeah. Or it's a, a fact, and you know, of information or whatever. But yeah, there's like our it's our little um, brain shortcut, isn't it? Put it in a yeah. story, and we get it. But yeah. I mean, you studied. I mean, we'll get to this in the interview. But like, you studied that. So, I mean, literally, philosophy and psychology are though, that's what that is. It's an understanding of the stories that we tell each other and how we do yeah. it, and how we interact with each other with those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that for me, they're totally two sides of the same coin yeah. completely, you know? Um, yeah. People say to me like, Oh, do you, um, do you draw on your psychology in your writing? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of, but when you, when you were saying a moment ago about we write stories because we're asking a question that we want to explore that's why I went into study psychology. I probably didn't entirely know it at the time, but I was like, I had all these questions about people, basically myself, people I knew, my family, all of this stuff. And I, I was just trying to answer those questions and I'm still trying to answer those questions just through stories now. Yeah. Um, this is a good way to, thing. this is a good way to start with your childhood then, because I mean, yeah, I, like, yeah. the premise that I have of the show is that every writer feels like they're outside of something. I don't think you can be a yeah. writer and be the cool kid in the room. I think you have to be the one that walks in and is like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Whatever that yeah. is, you spend time trying to deconstruct it and understand yeah. it. And, the, and part of yeah. the way you do that is through storytelling. Like, Oh, this is the thing that must have led to this. Now I yeah. understand how this thing works. Like as soon as a writer is the coolest one in the room, I'm convinced they're a bad writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I absolutely. And I think it's, yeah. In two ways. One, if you're the kind of cool guy in the room, you're performing rather than observing. Yes. And also arguably things are going more easily for you. So you're yeah. not trying to, figure anything you're not having to figure stuff out because you're not at the receiving end of the 
turmoil. Yeah. yeah. It's white guy syndrome. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, true. It, yeah. You know, like if you yeah. never, if, if your world has never forced you to think about anything outside, even yeah. if you're a good person, you just won't. Yeah. Like we're not, like you got to work really hard to do that unless there is a pressure put on you, right? Like that's sort of the failings yeah. of humans. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that makes me think, you know, the whole, because I was thinking about this the other day and you've just crystallized my thoughts for me. So, you know, the whole hero's journey, you know, the call and the refusal of the call, right? Why do we have the refusal of the call? It's because exactly what you say, that's how humans being, that's how human beings are. It's like someone says, get off your lazy ass and do this. It's like, no, you have to be forced yeah. to do it for some reason. Some, you have to... A you know, selfish reason most of the time. Yeah. How does, what is the reason I need to get off the couch? Yeah. Not that you need me off the couch. These yeah. are not the same yeah. thing. What's in it for me? Yeah. yeah. If you have kids, you know, right? Like if you've ever had to deal with a kid, you're like, go mow the grass. And they're like, fuck. You're like, oh shit, really? Like that's what we're doing? How about ten dollars? <laughs> right, like you, like the extreme, you know, uh, extreme. That's not. It? That's not why I would suggest as a psychologist necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, if you really need them to do that, the ten dollars gets the job done. It may not be the best, but it gets the job done. <laughs> yeah, well, if that's the contract you've come up with, that yeah. can work. You know, that's you know. So but, you're yeah. in England now, but you are from Scotland, yeah. 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 So I was, um, well, I was born in Edinburgh, which mm. hopefully people will know is the capital yeah. of Scotland. Yeah. But my geography is terrible, so I'm not going to assume that people know things when I'm so <laughs> ignorant. Um, so anyway, yeah, I was born in Edinburgh. For the first about six years of my life, I lived um, on the border, sort of on the border area between Scotland and England. Um, and then I moved to uh, a sort of mar market town um, near Edinburgh again. So, um, yeah, I, and then, I, you know, I basically lived there my whole childhood, basically, in, in Scotland, yeah. Do you have brothers and sisters? Mm hmm I have a sister who is one year older than me. So were you yeah. guys close growing up? Well, That's a no. close, enough, close <laughs> enough to tread on each other's toes, put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, our relationship's been kind of funny because I think when growing up, I mean, we were quite close as kids because we played with each other because, you know, what else are you going to do? Um, and then I think in sort of high school, I was certainly very competitive with her, kind of jealous of her because um, I was not the cool kid. Yeah. I was on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think there was times in our life when we weren't close and now we're really close. Yeah. You know, I think as adults, we've kind of, I think a big part of it was figuring out that we were both really different people and actually trying to compare and compete with each other was stupid. Yeah. And she's her and I'm me. And now, yeah, we, we're really close. You know, she's one of my go-to people. It's interesting, I think, you know, my sister and I are five years apart, so we were never really in the... Mm. We, we tell people we were raised as uh, as only children in the same household, huh. you know, just yeah. because we were Is never in the same it? school. She was an artist, like she was a piano player. I was an athlete. So like, even yeah. though we were in a small town, we did very, very different things. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you're that close and you're always in the same school and like, and you were yeah. the younger one, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So like your whole life, like every teacher's like, I know your sister, like everywhere yeah. you go, right? Like you have yeah. the shadow of this thing, which I think is really bad for kids. Yeah, and also, like, you know, my sister had it the other way around. You know, she's got this little sister always kind of nipping at her heels, you know, and, like, 
my my male friends at school fancied her and her male friends at school fancied me and that you know no one was happy with that arrangement you know <laughs> so I think, parents, nobody was happy <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I think actually probably it got better once we were out of high school because yeah, yeah, yeah. there was such a lot of crossover I mean, in primary school, we were probably more separate because the age gaps feel bigger in primary school. You know, the, right. year, the you know the six-year-olds aren't really hanging out with the seven-year-olds, right. you know, but right. the, the 14-year-olds are hanging out with the 15-year-olds or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it was a lot easier when we kind of left school and we could both, yeah, kind of forge our own separate paths. And, yeah. and now because we are close in age, I think that's in a way been positive because our adult lives kind of we can kind of relate to each other as adults yeah pretty well now yeah and you know i think that sibling relationship is so important particularly as you get older because they're the only people that under like they were the only people that were there right yeah they know your history yeah Yeah. and like also like i mean i don't know what's your relationship with your parents but like if there's ever a trauma or anything fraught like they're literally the only one that can like validate that yes that happened yeah. And that's so important, I think, as an adult, just for like mental yeah. and emotional health. Yeah. And also, I think as a kind of ally in making sense of your parents, you yeah. know, when you can go to your sibling and be like, have you noticed how dad is like this? And they're like, yeah. Like, <laughs> thank God weird, for mentioning right? that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not just me, right? That's yeah. Just, that's kind of, yeah, <laughs> or no, whatever. Like, But I think that's really, really important. And the thing that like adults yeah. don't talk about enough is like, if you have like that, that, that relationship, or if you have like cousins that just any family yeah. that's your age around you, I think is so important for like, you know, you get far enough. Away, I don't know how old you are. I'm almost 50. Like, you know, 10 is a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know. I know. It's like a whole other world, isn't it? Yeah. Whole, yeah. But you exactly. know, like that's the stuff that like, that's the engine that's driving you today, right? Like all yeah. those things that sort of happened. So having that, I think, closeness is both, while it may be a struggle when you're young, like later, it's like, thank yeah. goodness for that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I'm like, I'm so grateful that we're close now, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think for exactly the reasons that you say, you know, um, yeah, like she's my sister and she will always be my sister and therefore she'll always be around and I'll always yeah. be around for her, you know? Well, yeah. not forever. I know. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Until the timer yeah. runs out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As it does for all of us. Yeah. So, yeah. so what kind of kid were you? Like, what were you like? It sounds like she was the cool one and you, were you like Artie and like, what were you, who were you? Um, I was very academic. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like how you analyze yourself or how other people saw you and how you might have seen yourself. So I, I, I never felt like, uh, never quite felt I fitted in, never quite felt I belonged. It was always a bit of a struggle, I think, to navigate social relationships when I was young. I mean, not, not majorly, but for example, kind of, I had like one best friend for the first I don't know, eight years of my schooling and didn't really hang out with any other kids. And that's a little bit, I mean, that like we had a, like a very creative relationship, but it's kind of, it's a little bit skewed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of wasn't the most confident kid at all. I think I was actually very shy, probably because I didn't have a lot of social practice actually. Um, so 
I could remember things like trying to go into a, a sweet shop, a candy store, I guess you guys would call it. <laughs> and like just buy myself a chocolate bar. And I was too shy. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. And this really? probably was about 13 at this time. I was not little. I was, yeah, I was fairly old, but I just, yeah, didn't really feel like I had those social skills. Um, managed to get over that fairly well. Like now I'm actually very socially confident, but I still, I still feel like a, a sort of geek inside sure. that just learned how to do this good skills. Yeah. And I'd like to think that that means I'm quite empathic that, you know, I don't know, like mm, people who, people who aren't, shiny and glossy people who are really shiny and glossy I, I'm not comfortable with to be honest I, yeah. I don't like hanging out with them I find them intimidating maybe I don't know um but I'm I prefer the kind of slightly quirky crowd I think <laughs> you know you yeah. don't judge yeah. just rub along yeah I think yeah I mean artists like I like most of my friends tend to be artists writers like but yeah. like I always tell like I have so many visual friends, like painters, photographers, um, cinematographers, and they're a a nightmare to talk to because they talk like they're painting, right? Like (laughs) you have to wait till it's done to understand (laughs) what they've done. And I'm like, oh my God, like what is the order of things? But those are the people that I tend to be around because they're so different and they see the world differently than me. And so we may be looking at the same thing and they describe something and I'm like, I would have never, ever in a million years seen that. Like, yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I like weirdos, man. Like weirdos are kind of yeah, weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, I think I first found my tribe when I was doing my clinical psychology training. So I was around a lot of people who were interested in mental health, right? And I think you've got to be a fairly observant, yeah. thoughtful, non-judgmental person to want to go into that field. So I think. I initially found a really nice tribe there and then definitely writers are my tribe completely. Um, probably more than more. I mean, I'm I'm like, Oh my God, you like books, you're introverts and you like cats. Like, I'm just like, this is me. (laughs) (laughs) So is that what you did in like middle school and primary? Like, did you read a lot? Like, were you, yeah. Like you into the world of other worlds. Totally. Totally. So I've got a few memories about books. So my parents were always big book people. They had, you know, our house had lots of books. They were very keen on, you know, you know, encouraging us to read and taking us to the library and all of that, which is fantastic. And, you know, it's got to kind of starts from there, really, I think. Yeah. I remember, I, I get maybe because I saw my sister, I don't even know why, actually, I'm not even sure it was because I saw my sister reading, but I remember pulling down, I think it was an encyclopedia or children's encyclopedia or something at the age of about You've just dated yourself. Everybody, like all the young people are like, what's an encyclopedia? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like physical, but what? Yeah. How do you pull Wikipedia down? (laughs) (laughs) And I must have been about three and I couldn't, so I couldn't read at that age or I probably was learning my letters, you know? Um, And I remember just opening the book up I was kneeling on the floor and I had the book on my bed and I was just tracing the lines with my fingers, pretending to read. And my mum was calling me for dinner and I was like, I'm just going to finish this page. Because there was something about reading that I just 
wanted to be able to do. Yeah. And um, and so I think I, I learned to read pretty early on and I, and I read and read and read. And actually, we didn't have a TV until I was about 11. Wow. And this was, this was in the uh, 80s, very early 90s, where pretty much everybody had a TV. It was very <laughs> unusual not to have at least one TV in the house. My parents, I don't know, my parents are always a little bit off the beaten track. <laughs> like They just thought, we don't watch TV. Why do we need TV? Let's go and run around in a forest and build a fire and read a book instead. And <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, so I just read. That was my entertainment. I read all the time. I would come down to the dinner table with a book in my hand. My mom would have to tell me to put my book down so I could eat. And yeah, I just, I just read and, and even now, I, I, I always say if I'm, the only time that I don't read is if I'm ill. Other, other than that, I read every, every day. You know, it's like brushing my teeth. It's like eating. I'm never not reading. Wow. So, yeah. So you've been training to be a writer your whole life. Uh, I didn't know it, but clearly I have. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's, I always been, and you sort of know this because you went through it. I tell people like it's, I've said it on the show a million times, to be a lawyer, there's a path. It's not an easy yeah. path, but there's a path. To be a doctor, it's not an easy path, but there's a path. To be a yeah. writer is like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who does that? Who's yeah. like, you know, it's like, I how do you I do it? Do... Like, you're not board yeah. certified. You don't like, you can really take any degree that you want to. Like, but the one constant is you have to read. Like, that yeah. seems to be the thing. Like, if you're not yeah. reading, it's really hard to be a good writer. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Because I thought you were going to say you have to write because that's what everyone says. Oh, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. But actually, you have to read. Yeah, yeah you have to read. You can write without reading, but that's going to be, that's not going to be any good, is it? Yeah. yeah. See, I come, I, I look like I'm coming this way and then I come <laughs> this way. Yeah. That's why I'm a good storyteller. I'm, a, I'm yeah. a terrible writer, but I'm a good storyteller. Yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> there are different things. Well, you sat around campfires, you know, like people that can tell a story are not necessarily yeah. good writers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, when you get to high school, what do you like in high school? Like, are do you start coming out of your shell, or like, are you still like riding that introvert train? Um, yeah, I think for the first couple of years in high school, because I mean, I, I think I don't know if it's the same for you guys over there, but because we we have um, we just have basically primary school and secondary school or yeah. high school. And you cross over around the age of um, 11, something yeah. like that. So kind of just about when you're hitting puberty, <laughs> you also change to high school. So it means that the transition from primary school to high school is really quite dramatic. Like yeah. you go, from, you really kind of go from being a kid to being a teenager in that transition. Um, so for the first couple of years of high school, like everyone's jostling around and turning into, you know, it's all about the coolness and the hierarchies and all of that. Whereas, you know, in primary school, you're just running around. You don't even know yeah. you've got arms, really. You're just yeah. like, ah! You barely <laughs> remember the shower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, mm, here's a rock. Great. Yeah. We'll play with that for a bit. Um, so I think the first couple of years in high school, I was, yeah, kind of really finding my feet. And those were at times kind of rough years because yeah. you know it's like I fitted in and I didn't fit in and I could hang around with these people and then I couldn't hang around with these people it was uh and then probably about halfway through high school I found a group of friends that I actually got on you know they were sort of became friends that I could fit in with yeah um what were they like like what what made them your group 
I think the fact that they were also academic, but didn't that wasn't considered dorky sort of thing, you know. So they oh. weren't shy to work hard and get good grades and things like that. But quite a lot of them were musical as well. So we had a really strong music department at our school. So and there was kind of music there was music kind of like the school orchestra and the school bands, but then there was a lot of kids who were doing like their own kind of rock bands and stuff as well, kind of outside of school, but often supported quite a lot by the music department, which was lovely. So I had friends in that group who, um, you know, were kind of, I I mean, I played the violin and was in the orchestra and stuff and I had friends in the orchestra. That's a real deal. Like that's the, that's a hard instrument. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> My sister's a classically trained concert pianist. So, like, I've been oh, around wow. people. Like, I know that there's all instruments are hard, but there are some that are like, if you really want to be good, you're going to be doing that for a little hours. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, it didn't say anything about being good. <laughs> I just <laughs> said I played. <laughs> well, you said you had a good music program and you were playing the violin in the orchestra. So, you couldn't have been yeah, bad. Yeah, true. Couldn't have been that bad. True, true. Yeah, that is true. Um, I pay attention. I pay attention to the things that people say. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it was sort of the it was like the dorky creative people. Like you weren't in theater, you weren't doing that. It was like more the academic creative art stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think also, I think, and again, this is something that I've always tried to find in the people that I want to hang out with going forwards, is they were not hung up on being cool. They weren't uncool, but they weren't hung up on being yeah. Cool. And it was like, you know, mm, someone could suggest something or we would try something and it didn't matter if it wasn't mainstream cool. It was like, yeah. if we're having fun doing it, we're going to do it. And that was so important to me, I think. Yeah. You know, I have one of, I have such a fond memory of, we must have been pretty old, maybe six. 16, something like that. And there was a couple of slightly older kids who were hanging around with us as well, probably 17, something like that. And because one of them had a car and in, in the UK, the age when you can take your driving test is 17. So beyond, below, it must've been at least 17 to have yeah. a car. Um, and we kind of, our town was kind of surrounded by a lot of countryside. And sometimes we would just go and drive around the countryside yeah. as, you know, teenagers want to do. Um, and we stopped off at this, um, it's like a, it was like an old castle. It was small, but it was like this ruined castle called Hales Castle, not very far from where we, we lived. And it was just, it wasn't very interesting. It was just this kind of stone ruin next to a, a stream. And I remember we, it must have been maybe in the summer holiday or something, we all rocked up there and someone just said, why don't we play hide and seek? And we were 16, 17 year olds, mm-hmm. right? And someone just said, okay. And we just spent this like summer evening playing hide and seek and it was so innocent and fun and no one was trying to be cool, you know? And I, it was just like, you know what? Why not? It's fun. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just... It's just a fun thing to do. And I, yeah, I think that's something that is really important to me actually about not, not being afraid to just do something that other people might think is uncool. So you're going, because I, you I, like it. I have a castle story. So oh, yeah, I, I grew up in this little Appalachian town, like 5,000 people. And in that town, a guy built a castle. What? It's, it's called, it's called the Loveland castle. He built it, um, using like, uh, 
he made he, he went he would go down to the river and he made like concrete cement blocks out of that and built this i don't know if you can see it oh my god i mean it's a prop that's just the front it's a prop like at this audio so nobody can see it but you can all go look up the loveland castle it's a proper yeah. big ass castle it, in this, yeah. this little town and he was a knight of this old sack and so when you said you were 16 to play at hide and seek when i was 16 we would go there and play dungeons and dragons Perfect. You know, so Perfect. you were talking to them like, oh yeah, no, I know this group of people. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, like my first book was about, the, it, it sort of uh, was about Dungeons and Dragons, but it was because it was such a seminal part of my childhood in this castle. Like I tell people literally like, other than people in Scotland, it's very hard to run into people who I'm like, I grew up in a town with a castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't get to have that conversation very often. <laughs> okay, wow. so uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back because after high school, is that what you had to Oxford then, right? Like you, you go to yes. like proper, you go to proper university. Yeah, although I took a gap year in between as well. Well, then we'll come back and we'll talk about the gap year and then we'll get on because that's when the second part of your writing training happens with the philosophy and the, the mm. psychology. So we'll be right back. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, so uh, when we left, we were talking about castles, which never happens on the show. Um, so you're studious. You have this cool-ass group of friends who you guys just sort of do stuff. Was college, I'm assuming college was always on the menu for you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, not. I mean, I think if I'd said to my parents that I didn't want to go to university, they would have been like, okay, as long as you've got a plan, you know, another plan and something you want to do, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I think I, I, my, my school was kind of... My school was interesting because it was a, in Scotland. Most people go to state schools, which is just like a you know yeah. a public school. Um, but it was you know it was really a really good school. It had a real mix of people, but there were kind of people who were pretty um, academic, and and there was a kind of culture of people applying to university yeah. from the school. So it wasn't it wasn't unusual at all. My friends were applying, you know, yeah. yeah so and so why Oxford? Other than it's Oxford. <laughs> well, do you know what? It's funny because um, it hadn't initially crossed my mind at all. And actually, not. it wasn't... The schools in the UK that are very, very geared towards sending pupils to Oxford or Cambridge or Oxbridge, as right. people like to call it. And it's kind of the expectation. A lot of private schools, that's kind of what they're basing yeah, yeah. their performance on and stuff like that. But my Scottish state school wasn't on their radar basically sure. most people from um my school went to scottish universities they went to edinburgh they went to st andrews they went to dundee um some of them might be thinking about you know universities in london maybe um and actually it was my dad who said to me at one point um maybe this was when i was about 15 16 i think well initially he said cambridge you know because we didn't know the difference. We didn't know, you know, but he no. said, I think you should, I think you should think about applying to Cambridge. Um, and I was like, I was really flattered. I was really touched, you know, because I, I just thought, wow. Okay. Um, so, and then when I looked into it a little bit more, I realized that overall Oxford is sort of more arts based and that Cambridge overall is more sort of sciencey based. And I kind of wanted to go down the sort of arts route. So I started looking into it and I, spoke to some of my teachers and they didn't really have a clue to be honest they didn't have a clue particularly about the application process I did a mock interview with one of the, the guidance teacher at the end of which he said are you sure you want to apply to Oxford <laughs> and I was like okay well that was helpful <laughs> um, not giving you the confidence boost to go now go <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, but I, uh, I don't know. I think because I loved academics, I just liked the idea of going somewhere that was academic. You know, it wasn't really about. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought, uh, yeah, I want to be somewhere that is kind of it's about learning and it's about the top top level of learning, um, and. Oxford and Cambridge are the only universities that interview for for entrance, apart from the medical schools that, yeah. that also interview. Um, so I went down to interview at Oxford. It was actually on my birthday in December, and I kind of pitched up at the college that I'd applied to. And the, pretty much the only reason I applied to this college is because it had a deer park, and I was like, "That's so cool! Like it's got deer in the college in the campus." So I was like. I'm in. That looks nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll apply to that one. And then people said to me, like, oh, you've applied for one of the big colleges. And I was like, have I? I don't know. <laughs> no one's guiding me here. I don't know. It's so really I, interesting. I, like, I think you're a little bit younger than me, but, like, there's a constant, particularly in the Western world, as I have talked to people, like, people around our age, like, 
a lot of them did college like that. Like today, you know, people take their uh, kids to look at all this stuff. And our my family was just yeah. like, I mean, yeah, that one looks good. Like, sure, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, like. yeah. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of it was because, yeah, like I say, my school didn't know anything about, you know, just didn't have the experience. Right. Um, so I, um, so you know, what, I pitched it. Yeah. What do you go to study? Like, what, like what, you said the arts, but like, that's not what you studied. So like, what were you planning on looking at when you were there? So yeah, so I did apply to um, do psychology and philosophy. Well, actually the course was known as PPP, which was psychology, philosophy, and physiology. And you took two out of those three options in any combination. That's so you, yeah, it was a really nice combination. So you could do, for example, psychology and physiology, uh, or you could do psychology and philosophy. You could even do physiology and philosophy if you wanted to, although that was a perhaps less um, yeah. obvious combination. Um, and to the, uh, with the other universities that I applied to, I was applying for quite a mix of things. So some of them I was applying to do ancient history, which was something I was I'd studied a bit of at school and was really into. Um, psychology was kind of an afterthought, to be honest, because... I thought, mm, if I get a degree in like ancient history and anthropology, what job am I going to get? Yeah. So I was like, mm, I'll put psychology down. Like, I'll, this sort of psychology and philosophy thing sounds pretty cool. That sounds, I'll, I'll do that. Um, so there was no plan. You were just like, that sounds like an interesting thing to study. Yeah. And I hadn't done psychology at school because my school didn't offer it. Sure. Um, so I mean, a lot of schools now do, you know, psychology as a sort of A level or whatever. But do they really? Um, yeah, yeah. It was just really good. I think. Yeah. I think it's yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. I know some of the classes that I took. I feel like learning how your mind works and how you operate would be really good for teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a very confusing time. So, are you like when you go? Like, do you have any inkling that you're going to be a writer? Do you have any inkling that like art is going to be part of your life? No, not at all. Not at all. I didn't really know what I didn't really know what was going to happen at that point. And I I rocked up in my interview. You know, I was in this place, all these you know fancy columns and you know all this architecture, and I was like, whoa, man. Um, and I go to my interview. I'm so kind of like like a fish out of water that I walk into the interview room, which is this sort of fusty old college room you know and yeah. there's these two fusty old professors in there I forget to take my coat off and my scarf I just sit down in the chair like in my coat and they like start asking me questions and I've like gotten I've like there's some com questions that I completely flunked I just didn't know what but I think what they could see was that I had a curious mind and yeah. even when I didn't know the answer I would take a stab at it and I was curious as to what the answer might be. So I came out of that interview and I was like, wow, I've seriously embarrassed myself. I'm <laughs> going to that school. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then I got an offer and and I was no one was more surprised than me, really. But um yeah, off I went and did psychology and philosophy. Um so what was it like there? Like what like what how did you change in those four years? Like what was that journey for you? Well, actually, first of all, I changed my name when I pitched up there. So Philippa is actually my middle name. And I was known as Helen before that, my first name. And then I think I just wanted a whole ident new identity. Oh, yeah. 
really start. And I just, I, because um, I was really anxious before going there. Maybe my kind of social insecurities had crept up. I don't mean social in terms of like status, you know, because yeah, that yeah. could have been a thing, you know, I mean, like. Talking to people. <laughs> yeah, like talking to people like, hello, I am new here. We got that when you sat down with your coat on. Like, oh, she's not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not smooth. Yeah. I was not smooth. Where's the deer? She wants to hang out with the deer. Yeah, yeah. we got that. We got that. <laughs> Did you ever think about coming a therapist, Brad? You've got a good ear. <laughs> I have uh, I have had several writers get done with this and be like, I feel like I owe you for the hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. This is brilliant. <laughs> so, so you are like, this is like a sh- this is like I mean, not to go back to the hero's journey, but this literally is like you're you're in the new special world and you're going yeah. through the change. Like you literally the, oh, are yeah. walking through the steps. <laughs> totally. I'm in the extraordinary world. Yeah. Okay. What are the challenges um, you overcome? Yes. And who <laughs> what are the friends you meet along the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, I think um, changing my name and introducing myself as Philippa kind of gave me a big boost of confidence. And it, looking back now, it was kind of a false confidence, but it kind of got me through. Yeah. And I did make good friends there. You know, I have I have friends, you know, I'm still friends with them now. And um, I had a really good time there. And I had a nice, again, I had a nice crowd of friends. Um, and I think, I think probably part of what helped me there was because Oxford, like Cambridge, is divided into the college system. So the, the university as a whole is massive. Yeah. It's tens of thousands of students. But in each individual college, there's probably about mm, 400 students, something yeah. like that. So in your year group, there's probably only 100. So it's pretty easy, pretty quickly to get to know the people that you're around day to day. And it's quite yeah. a small community ultimately. And I think that really helped, you know, that, you know, it, I, I was meeting the same people over and over. So I wasn't, it wasn't like you've just got this in massive, massive campus of students and you don't yeah. know who anybody is, you know. Um, and there's a comfort to that yeah. too. I think if you're socially awkward or like socially, not, not awkward, but like if you're uncomfortable, when you see, like you develop a sense of comfort if you're, this is what's going to happen. These are the people I'm going to see. Like there is a, yeah. you can then sort of push that, ang- not push it down, but the anxiety sort of subsides. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that if you want to go and hang out with people, you can go to the college bar and there will be people there that you've met before and who've met you before. And they're probably all going to go out to the same club together and they're all yeah. going to come back to the same college together at the end yeah. of the night. So, so are you yeah. just like doing your studies or like, do you start, like, do you write at all? Do you explore any of the art stuff? Like, or are you just like philosophy and psychology is who I am now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose going back one step, I did do creative writing, bits and pieces of creative writing at school, because I think in our English department, we had a couple of teachers who were quite encouraging of that. And I don't know, like wrote for a school magazine and yeah. wrote some sort of stories. And that was fun. And I enjoyed that. But again, it wasn't on my radar. So University was, yeah, my my studies, which were which were full on. You know, there wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of time for, you know, well, I mean, we did doss about, and we did go out to clubs and have right. parties and do lots of fun things as well. And I took up rowing while I was there in my second wow. year and did that through my second year. Um, but yeah, writing, I was still reading all the time, but sure. writing 
not on my radar, no. So when you graduate, do you go right to work then as a psychologist? Like, is that like, or do you, like, um, what happens when you're finished? Like, what's yeah. the plan when, you, when you're done? Yeah, so um, come my third year at university, my course was only three years long. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just Googled psychology jobs. And uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, you seem like you have a plan, but what I'm realizing is you are pantsing life. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Again, what's interesting, just as we're talking about it, is same way as at school, there wasn't someone to advise me on, hey, you could go to Oxford and here's how you might do it. Right. There wasn't, there also wasn't anyone or lecturers who were saying, this is maybe a lot of the dense, you know, it was like you would, you know, maybe you could get a post as a lecturer. And I was sort of like, mm, that's, that's what they were doing, you know, but I didn't really know about careers of applied psychology. So I Googled clinical psycho or psychology jobs and clinical psychology came up. <laughs> and I thought that looks like it would really suit me because it was very <laughs> academic focused still, but it yeah. was a vocation as well. It was like, you know, you're going to be hands-on. It's about working with people. It's about seeing clients, patients, working in the NHS, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. I was like, sounds good. I'll give that a shot. And so you just start working as a psychologist and like that you for a long time think that's this is what I'm doing. Yeah, basically. So my to qualification, it was another four years for me with wow. kind of doing on the job training and then the sort of doctorate and everything. And then I still worked as a psychologist for, oh my gosh, how many years after that? Um, so I, I qualified in 2007 and then I probably, when did I start writing? 2010, I think. I think 2010. I started writing again. So, wait, you said again? Well, as in, like, you know, I'd done some stuff at school. Not oh, but, like, yeah. you, not again, like, you started writing, but, like, this was, like, did you know what you, like, when, like, what was it that made that happen? Like, what, because that's a weird thing to suddenly be, like, you know what I want to do? Be a writer. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the way it happened for me, there's two things. One was um, my, well, he's now my husband at the time. He was my boyfriend, he was always trying new creative things. You know, he's always kind of scratching around for another project or something else he was going to try his hand at. Um, and at one point he was going to write. So he got a book from Bookshop that was like, how to write and sell your first novel. And I was like, yay, go, this will be great. You know, I'll cheer you on. And, you know, about three weeks later, he was like, nah, I'm on to the next thing. Yeah, he made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually a musician, so music was ultimately his thing, so that's all good. Um, so this book, we sat around, you know, in his apartment or whatever for a bit, and and then there was a point where I changed jobs, I changed psychology jobs and had a week off in between. So the first time in years, I had, like, no clients to hold in mind. And I got the first line of a novel, and I was like hey, why not for fun? I'll just write a novel. And it was purely for fun at that point, just another hobby to try my hand at as well, basically. Yeah. And so what We're shaking your head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because every writer is like, 
you got a book and you just sat there and then you just decided to write a book? Like, what the hell? Like, what? How does that happen? That's the weirdest <laughs> origin story I've ever heard. So what happened to that book? I had a lot of fun writing it, but it will, it's, it's, yeah, it's my, it was my introduction to writing, put it yeah. that way. You know, it's not, it's not the genre I write now, but I just had fun. Like, it was the first time I'd really kind of had a bigger writing project that I, yeah. that I, just lost myself in actually were you, was it um, were you surprised surprised as in like when you sat down to do it when you like wrote a whole book like how did that happen um, like did that surprise you um that's a really interesting question no it didn't i don't think because <laughs> i do this professionally <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think um because i was enjoying it I, you know, coming home after a day at work, you know, I'd get, I'd probably get home about six. I wasn't, you know, I was, my job was hard, but it wasn't long hours. So yeah. I would come home and in evenings I would sit down and I'd probably write for an hour or two and write the next little scene or chapter that was in my head. And because I'm, I'm generally quite stubborn. Like if I'm, if I start a project, I'll kind of finish it. Um, I mean, the book isn't really finished. It's kind of still unedited and I never really finished it. You finished the draft. Yeah, I finished yeah. a draft. Yeah, I wrote the ending. Um, and I just, it took about 18 months. And it was just like, it was, I guess it was the same as someone maybe coming home and working on a quilt every evening at the end of, <laughs> you know, a year and a half, they had a quilt. And it was like, hey, I made this thing, you know? So, There's a lot of writers out there. Didn't, like, it's nothing like a quilt. <laughs> well, the thing was, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to make it good. Right. You know, it didn't have to be good. It just, yeah. it was just, it was like a kid with their dolls, you know, telling stories. That was, it didn't, it yeah. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it was like your high school group it. of friends, like, hey, let's do this. And you're like, yeah, I'm having yeah. a good time. Let's do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like playing hide and seek. There was no end game to it. It was just fun. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. seems, I, that, thematically, I'm seeing some things rise up out of your story. Here. <laughs> you I, find, I mean, I think some of that is, you know, just listening to you talk about your friends and like, like finding those groups seem to have been very important to you throughout there. And I think that's all, I think one of the big things for writers is finding their voice, right? And like finding your voice means you have to have those safe spaces and those places where you can yeah. explore and see like, what, what is this? Like, you're not going to get it yeah. right the first time, right? Like it's why everybody's first book takes 10 years. Yeah, exactly. You have, to, you have to do all the stuff and be like, oh, here's who, this is what, this yeah. is my, this is who I am. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So you got done with that book. Did you think, I'm going to do this again? I actually moved into writing short stories, which is exactly what you say about like a safe space to experiment because, you know, you can kind of write in any style, any genre. Yeah. If it doesn't work, you've only wasted 2,000 words, which is maybe, I don't know, a week's worth of work yeah. um and and also I was kind of finding my way into the writing community at that point as well you know with kind of online groups and forums and yeah. uh, I think I joined a local writers group and you know just just and then started learning the craft you know that I don't know if you've all all the writers kind of also have that moment where they've been writing gaily la 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 and then it's like I'm sorry, what's the point of view? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> An inciting yeah. instant is 
what? <laughs> my verbs aren't different tenses. What's happening? <laughs> like that's the one that I always hate. People are like, this is in multiple tenses. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to. I'll get to that in the editing process. I can't deal yeah, with yeah. it right now. Yeah, it's yeah. this is the sort of this is another sort of recurring theme, right? Is that people do it and then all of a sudden, like once you realize you want to do it, then you realize. Oh God, there's a bunch of things that I just don't know that I don't think about because in no English class ever were they like, let us teach you point of view. Yeah. Or you may talk about it briefly, but they don't say, now let's spend the semester writing through different points of view. And like, what does that mean? And are you a narrator that knows everything or is it limited? Like, like, how did you know that if you're this? Like, you're like, oh shit, oh no. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it's so funny, like in this, this kind of, Manu- this first manuscript that I wrote, there was a there was some head hopping like in the first yeah. page or paragraph, and I was like, something's <laughs> right off with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, my characters it started with the waking up, but actually, it wasn't about the waking up. It was about it just the inciting incident happened to happen in the morning. But anyway, and I was like, there's something off here. Like I can't mm, something not right, but I don't know what. I'm not sure. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> but it was, I, I was excited when I learned about craft because there's a part of me that's also quite scientific and likes yeah, obviously tool, yeah. tools, right? Yeah. So learning to, to learn tools and techniques, I was all for it because I am always, I'm always skeptical of people who are like, Oh, I don't listen to any of that stuff about point of view. or I don't listen to any of that stuff about, you know, story structure. And I'm like, mm well, maybe that's why your writing sucks. Right. <laughs> Sorry, no. yeah. I mean, that's harsh, but yeah. I just think, I just sort of think, why don't you see them as tools to help you tell the most the story in the most effective way? Like, don't see them as rules or like, yeah. you know. If you're putting up a shelf, you're not like, well, I'm not using this drill. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I'm not going to measure it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when, you know, I have a lot of people that, end, like I, we've talked about, like people, when they reach that point that you reach, they oftentimes either end up in MFAs or they 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 find classes or something. And, you know, as I've never done that, but I tell folks like, you know, the toolbox for a writer is so important. Like you just have to know it. You have to learn it. You don't have yeah. to use it, but like you cannot walk, you can't be a painter and be like, I shall just do whatever I want. I mean, you can yeah. But then yeah. you can't be like, why don't people get my genius? Like, I got one. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, exactly. I could be wrong, but I got one pretty good guess. Um, yeah. And I think that's the hard stuff. Like, that's what whenever people yeah. ask me, like, what does it take to be a writer? I'm like, once you get the toolbox and you've edited, then you're a writer. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's right. Because I, I think when you're trying to put the toolbox in place, that's when it actually starts to become work. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, it's like you realize, wow, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a kind of um, discipline here that yeah. I need to pay attention to. And I can't just flop whatever I want out onto the page and expect a reader to enjoy it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah you have to edit. You have to work. You have to understand what you're doing you've got to train um the same way as any artist is going to have to train yeah. you can't be like i want to be a ballet dancer but i don't want to learn any of the positions or the right it's like, well good luck with that then yeah i mean and there is this uh sort of weird and destructive um mythology that like you know the writer who drinks and you know like just does that uh, like you know like that sort of disabused artist and it's like that's actually i mean not that's not how any of this happens right like yeah. you, you literally have to sit down and and i know 
I mean, I'm like I said, I'm almost 50. Like if I have a drink, I can't write anymore. Like I, my head is just like, I'm old enough that like the brain is fuzzy. And I'm like, I need this to be sharp to really understand what's happening. And if I yeah. put anything in there, I'm like, nope, I'm done. I'm going to watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean sometimes that happens to me without a drink but yeah I'm really hoping that that myth is dying out now because yeah. it's so out of date isn't it you know like and dangerous you know, yeah well yeah exactly I mean you have to be healthy to be a right you have to be healthy to do any job yeah. or, or pursue any passion you know successfully you you just you're going to be healthy you know yeah. you, if you're not as healthy as you can be, it's, it's going to impair you. It's going to get in the way, isn't it? And I think it's also, I almost wore my Ted Lasso shirt. I don't know if you've seen the show, Ted Lasso. Uh, it's Apple TV. It's a, it's a show about kindness, but it's set in England. Oh. And it's an American football coach who's coaching soccer in England. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, it's hilarious. And uh, it's about kindness. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show a lot, is that I'm also very happy to see that people are understanding that art isn't just darkness. That like yeah. you can find beautiful art and joy and happiness and kindness, like everything. The human condition isn't just an animal. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We have these other parts as well. And you can mine yeah. those for deep, rich stories as well, right? Like it's not. Yeah. So you you write the first book, you move into short stories, like how, like when do you get started with little white lies like when like when does that sort of thing where you're like okay this is this is the thing I'm now going to try to do yeah so I think um by that point I'd had a few short stories published so that made me that was a real spur to make me think maybe it's worth taking this seriously you know like actually thinking about the publishing industry not yeah. just a hobby and again is that when you felt like, like a writer is that when you told yourself, oh. like, I'm a writer? Or we still, we not, still haven't got no, there? No, I don't think I was there yet. <laughs> okay. I mean, when does that, yeah, when does that happen? It's a funny one, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think when you die and somebody else says, she was a writer. I think that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in, in the obit, yeah. <laughs> um, so actually, again, it was job-related. So I actually um, left my full-time job in the NHS um, for various reasons I decided to set up my own practice which at the time was kind of still not the done thing for clinical psychologists we are sort of trained to work in the NHS and uh -oh. going private was kind of seen as sort of you know going over to the dark side and abandoning you know like the, public the health yeah yeah but it had got to the point where I was felt like I was doing more harm in the NHS than I might do well not that's maybe a bit extreme but I yeah. felt like I was doing my clients a real disservice in the yeah. NHS. From the it wasn't your voice. Work. That was not your voice anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It got to that point when I said, yeah, literally I had to say, I can't put my name to what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, so I left, I started up my own practice and that meant I could work part time. And I'd had this idea for a novel for a while. This was the whole premise of what about if you start the story when the missing child comes home? Because that's normally the end of the missing child story, right? That's yeah. the resolution. But what if that's the inciting incident? Um, and when I was working part-time and I had, you know, I could give more time to writing, I thought, now, yeah, now's the time to write this novel. That yeah. was, that was the, the kickoff point. And I did. I started on the 3rd of December 2015, I think. And I wrote a thousand words a day for three months and had after, yeah, after three months, I had 80,000 words of 
mess, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I always, I, that, that's when you became the writer. Like I tell people, the first, you know, the first draft is actually really easy. It's what the hell you do with it after that. And you're like, uh oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I, I, you know, I thought I knew my craft, but I didn't know my craft, not for novels, basically. I knew my craft for short stories, but I didn't know my craft for novels. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, I think that first one, I mean, again, I've just heard the story so many times. Like you, you're building the world first. You're not telling the story. I think that's what's happening in that draft is like, okay, what is this even place we inhabit? Which is why. Every writing, you know, they're always like, you're going to do a shitload of pre-writing and like write about the character, like write character stories and stuff. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but like when I, yeah, yeah, yeah. they were like, do all this stuff. And I think that they were saying, because if you don't, you're going to do it in your first draft. Yeah. So, interesting. Like, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before you tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. You have to yeah. know who they are. Right. Like it's hard to like, and even if you know who your characters are, I mean, how many times did they do some shit that you're like, this is not helpful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wait, you like in in the first draft, she had a boyfriend. He got cold. You know, it's like all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, how long did it take from soup to nuts for you to start till you were done? Till you were like the last edit. So, like the last edit, including the sort of edits with my publisher. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um. That's like three, four years? Four years. Yeah, it would have been four yeah. years. I mean, I think that book, I lost count in the end, but I think the book went through about 25 drafts. Yeah. I mean, it so was you wrote shocker. 20, yeah. So you wrote 25 books. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's when you became the writer. Like, that's when you sort of, and I think, you know, I was a college professor, like, I believe in education, but for writing, I'm like, it's just one of those crafts that, like, you probably learn more in that four years about writing yeah. than you learn at any other time in your life about writing yeah and I have to give a big thanks to my agent because she she requested the full manuscript uh which was brilliant in the first place and then basically contacted me to say and this was when it was already on draft 12 (laughs) she didn't know that but I knew that (laughs) she contacted me to say you know I think it's got loads of potential but I basically think it needs a whole rewrite and specifically, what I think you need to do is give it a much bigger twist and rewrite the whole thing in two points of view, not one. Yeah. Are you up for it? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> Mainly because I knew she was right. You know, she like she described, saw it. She's, yeah, she saw it. Exactly. She saw it. And I was like, that's what I've been trying to write the whole time. Yeah. I just, didn't figure it out. You figured it out. It's, but it's in the, I mean, this is, you know, I have realized in my life that I'm a better editor than writer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, the best storyteller. I'm next <laughs> an editor and then I'm a writer. And there's a talent with like looking at somebody's thing yeah. and being able to go, this is what you're trying to do. Yeah. Not this is what I would do, but this is this, I can see what you're doing. Get yeah. rid of this, pull this out and just shine the light in the direction that you need to go. Like, what a gift that is. Yeah, yeah. And also that she, she had the honesty to tell me that because she could have just been like, mm, sorry, it's not quite for me in the end. Yeah. And kind of just left me at that point. Um, so she, I mean, I guess she took a punt on me in the, well, she, I mean, at that point she, um, 
she asked me to kind of come up with a plan for the new twist and also to kind of do like 50 pages rewritten with the dual point of view. Yeah. And it was only at that point that then she offered me representation. So she wasn't, you know, she was, she was going to see if I could come up with the goods. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Of course. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, So yeah. And then I did a lot, a lot more kind of editorial work with it on the rest of it with her. Um, But by the time we sent it out, I mean, she'd really pushed me with it. And um, following that, we got offers pretty quickly, actually. So, yeah. and then there was more editing, of course. Sure, it's yeah. Never it's, it's never over. It's never really, really over until the last day when they're like, we cannot make any more changes. And yeah. even when that happens, I'm dubious. I'm like, I bet you could if you needed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet I could if you yeah. needed to. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't trust any of you bastards when you say it's locked. I'm like, is it locked though? Like, it's only locked if I stop answering my email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it comes out and it gets, I mean, it is, I think I told you when we when we first talked about this, like I saw it everywhere. Like everybody was talking about that book. Really? Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Like That's it was so cool. like, you were on my radio radar almost like right wow. after it came out um wow. uh, and for people that don't know it's uh, little white lies is the book that came out oh, yeah. and it, like that was like it was amazing and then um and now you're on to the new one new one is out it was out uh, earlier this year right in in the uk yeah. just out here in america safe and sound that's right that's right yeah 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 um so was it substantially like you found your genre now right like do you, you yeah that you you sort of got that voice and that's your that's your thing now. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I've got my genre, which I would describe as well. I kind of get categorized in the sort of psychological thriller, psychological suspense genre. I've also been categorized as dark women's fiction, which I kind of like. Although I know there's the kind of controversy about women's fiction, but what yeah. basically what that says to me is looking at the dark side of our. Uh, emotional and interpersonal worlds basically um which which i which i like so i think i kind of want to explore the darker sides of human psychology and kind of wrap them up in a page to yeah it's it's funny my friend basically um, that's that's kind of what i do yeah Yeah. my friend janelle brown we've been friends for like 20 years or whatever and i when her book um watch me disappear came out it was her third book. And that was the one that sort of like took off. And I was interviewing her in this thing. And she was like, yeah, I get accused of writing like unlikable women. And I just started laughing. I'm like, I love the women in your book. Like, it's like <laughs> I'm like, you mean you write complicated women who have like all of the emotions that people have. <laughs> yeah. You mean like real people, yeah, real like women. actual people. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. Different. I'm like, Oh, I feel like I need to reconsider all of my relationships because I love all of the women that you write. <laughs> Also, I always tell folks, if there's a guy in, the, in her book, don't get attached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Warning. He, he ain't making it to the end. <laughs> uh, so, Safe and Sound is out. How's it doing? Like, do you feel good about it? Like, I don't mean house of sales. I mean, like, like do you, like, you yeah. got that? And you're like, yeah, this is a good one. I got this one. Yeah, I mean, like I said uh, a little bit earlier, I, I just assumed it was going to be crap until my editor read it and was like, I actually think this is better than Little White Lies. And initially I was like kind of offended because I was like, how can you not think that Little White Lies is the most brilliant book that's ever written? Like I've lived under the pretension that I would never top my magnus opus of Little White Lies. You've already turned into a pretentious writer. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. How dare you compliment my second book? Yeah, but then, like, obviously, like, a split second later, I was like, okay, phew. (laughs) Okay, this is good. This is good news. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you want want it to go that way. You want the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Upwards, not downwards. Yeah, Um, not like... Yeah, your third book is actually worse than your first is not a thing you want to hear ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, no, I... um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. And, you know, I love sharing with people and talking about it and, you know, people sort of messaging me and stuff. And actually, I think it's maybe a more difficult book for people to read than the first one. Because a lot of people have said it's quite a visceral experience to read because the protagonist suffers with very severe anxiety. And I think... At the time I was... Well, not so much the time I was writing it, but the time I was editing it, I was suffering with really severe anxiety. And I think it just came out. I think it came across on the page. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, sometimes people feel it on the other end. And for some people, that's very powerful in that they feel that I captured a very true experience. And for other people, it's quite a lot because maybe they haven't struggled with something like that. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, you know, I mean, you're a writer, you know, like, you I can you can tell when a writer is feeling and experience something on the page. Mm. Like you just like you did mm. like when you read it, you're like, there's a difference between somebody that's telling a story and somebody that is feeling that story. Like I don't know how yeah. to describe that, but like you can read and particularly because everybody's been in lockdown. So I think everybody who had sort of natural coping mechanisms for anxiety and yeah. depression, now you can't yeah. do that. And so now exactly. you're literally looking in the mirror like, oh, shit, I have anxiety. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're reading this book and you're like, oh, shit, so does she. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's exactly. great. Uh, I am very happy that we got to talk because I've been wanting to talk to you for like a year. And uh, you were lovely and brilliant. And um, this is like the genre of book. I was telling my girlfriend, like, I did not think this was going to be the genre of book that I started reading. But like. About a year and a half ago, I started, like, I just have shelves of, like, this kind of book. So I'm very excited to read both of them at the same time. Um, And I will tell you, uh, they're both brilliant. (laughs) I won't compare them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Brad. I've had, it's been one of the most interesting, well, probably the most interesting author chat that I've done, actually. I, I just love your take on it. And it's really refreshing. You know, it's just like we talked about before, it's not the usual questions. It's not the usual interview. And that's lovely. It's really lovely. And thank you so much. Well, once this is all over, I got a bunch of friends over in England and I've told them I'm getting on a plane and coming over because I haven't (gasps) been in a few years. So when I do, I'm going to gather all of you weirdos up and we're going to have a drink somewhere. Oh, that would be amazing. Yes, please. Please, please, please. (laughs) All right. Well, you guys take care of yourself and uh, we will talk again soon, I hope. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Thanks, Brad. Have a lovely evening. Well, there you have it. That was Philippa East, whose book, Safe and Sound, is out right now. It was always, it was so enjoyable. Um, I had been looking forward to having her on the show uh, for like a year. So getting her on the program made me very, very happy. And unexpectedly to get to talk about castles. Also amazing. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. Remember, if you like what you heard, do us those two favors we talked about at the top of the show. Leave us a written review, particularly if you listen with Apple Podcasts, and tell your friends about us. While you're at it, 
Don't forget to check out all of the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly MacLear. Don't forget, the video podcasts are out every Monday and Friday over the next uh, five, six weeks. So you can check those out on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel, or you can catch the audio version right here. The Jam is out every Wednesday, so make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram, at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.